are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. 1 John 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Overcoming the world, living the victorious life. And that's exactly what he's saying here in this point of our, of our reading. I read back in Acts 4 in verse uh, 33, And with great power, great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This matter of power and victory, that's so much in the Word of God. Now the Christians, first called by that name in Antioch, maybe in derision, but it stuck. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so should we be. We are saved people, followers of the Son of God. Now, I love Christians. I love Christians. In many ways, I'm positive that some of the sweetest people I've ever met in the world are Christian people. Some of the sweetest, kind, gracious, loving. I've met many people. But those who know the Lord have something special about them. And I'm thinking of different ones. My own father, saved after I was saved, but became such a noble man. I still remember his great life. And many others I've known through the years. Some of them the sweetest people. Again, I think that many Christians are the strongest people I've ever met. They stand temptation, trials, heartaches, everything. Take the Apostle Paul, all of his sufferings, and how he did suffer, and went on. And some of the strongest people. Again, I think that Christians are among the sanest people in the world. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Give it to all men liberally. And they're the sanest people. They know what to do, where to go. They're led of God. They're Christian people. Again, I think many Christians are the strangest people in the world. And I'll say that for a reason. They make decisions. They go ways that people can't understand. You take, here's the young man. We have not come to Tennessee Temple. Every, every year we have some. Uh, outstanding Great, good grades in school, fine personality, everything about them lovely. And they feel called of God to be a missionary, maybe to the heart of Africa, maybe to South America, maybe to the islands of the sea. And people say, well, you're crazy. You, you don't want to do that. But they do it. They're called of God. I read the story of Borden of Yale. Everyone should read it. Borden of Yale. Millionaire, multi-millionaire, gave it all away, went to Missionville, died on Missionville. Just after getting there. They, they said he was crazy, but he went on. And you go on and on. But I think there's some of the strangest. Then again, I must say that Christian people are the safest people in the world. If you're going to follow someone, follow the child of God. Someone born again, saved, redeemed, precious, walking in the sight of the Lord. And that makes them the safest people in the world. Now I can say more about that. That brings me to this message of this morning. In spite of all that is said about Christian people, about their sanity, about their safety in life, about their ability to move on and follow God and so on, I have to say this, that many Christians are not victorious. 
Though they're saved, born again, they're not living the victorious life. They're defeated people. And I meet them all of the time. I meet them in churches. Every place where I go, someone comes to me after a service. They're having troubles, having heartaches. And many times, it is their fault. They're not surrendered to the Lord. They do not have the victory and they fail in life. Now, I know a lot of strange things can be said on that. Many things. I had a good friend of mine, a great preacher, a good evangelist, held meetings in my church, great speaker. And yet, uh, this happened. No one could understand it. Preached on a Sunday night in a big church in Nashville, Tennessee. Had the soul saved. Had a mighty service. Got out of the service. Got in his car. Drove home. Walked in the kitchen. Picked up a revolver and killed himself. Now wait a minute. You don't you don't understand that. No way to figure it out. Oh, there might have been some turmoil. Some, but this you do know. He wasn't victorious. He missed it somewhere. And that caused his failure. Now, many Christians, those saved, are not victorious. Now, where do you find your victory? Let's give it to you in two or three points. Number one, first of all, there's victory in a person, and the person is Christ. And you have to rest on that. He is the one that you receive as Savior, and you follow as Lord and Master. Not some person of the world. They may fail, but you follow Him. He cannot fail. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And you follow Him, and you find your victory in Him. Now think of what He's done for you in the past. He saved your soul. Amen. He's given you life everlasting. And you're a child of God through faith in Him. And rejoice in that. Your victory in this person of Christ. Think of Him. Center your mind, your thinking upon the Son of God. I, I resent something. I know you do too. But I resent this business of Washington, D.C. and many other big spots in the world where they don't mind mentioning maybe God once in a while but avoid the name of Jesus altogether now that I resent I, I hear these big shots praying once in a while and people brag about he's a man of prayer so, but they do not mention the name of Christ in their prayer they avoid that altogether and yet my friend Christ is the center of all we have Everything, all we'll ever have, all we'll ever be, it's in Him, in the Son of God. Now find your victory in Christ Jesus and think of what He did for you in the past. He left heaven's glory, came down, died upon the cross, rose from the dead, ascended on high, given us a way of life, life everlasting. And the proven fact of that is what we see around us, what we feel in our hearts. We know we have it because we know Him. Now, secondly, think of what He's doing for you right now in this present moment. While you sit here this morning under this tent, what he's doing now, he's interceding for you. And when you pray, he, he takes your prayer to the Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. And you pray, and right now it's going on. What's he doing now? He's now preparing a place for you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's doing that now, at this very moment of time that we're here. Again, he's guarding and keeping us now. How beautiful. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And that's in Him. And He's guarding. You don't have to worry about that. You receive Him as Savior. He does the guarding and the keeping. And you're saved eternally. Now this we know. Now that's going on in this present moment of time. All of these things and many, many others. And then think of what He will do. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. He's coming again. That's in the future. 
Now, you center your thinking upon the Son of God in the moments of despondency. You think of Christ in the moments when defeat is threatening. You think of the Son of God and you rest upon Him. No matter what it may be, come back to the Savior. He knows, He understands, He has the power, He can help you, He can bring you out of your despondency, your gloom, and set your feet on the solid rock and keep you moving on. Now, this we have to have. In the school, such you're building here, you'll have it happening over and over again. Uh, the president, the vice president, the deans and so forth will have young people coming in crying, all defeated. I'm quitting, I'm going home. That's a common thing. A common thing. And not only for young people is that common, but it's common for older people too. They want to give up. And they want to quit. No, no, you keep on going. And you'll find your victory in the Son of God. And remember Him who died for you on the cross. And who is coming again to receive us unto Himself. How blessed is the second coming. He's coming again. He cannot lie. He's coming again. May come today, tomorrow, in the morning. We don't know. He's coming. He's coming. This we know. We don't know the hour, but we know He's coming. And we look for the return of our blessed Savior. I read a story on the front page of the New York Times some years ago. Uh, someone gave a, a copy to me and uh, told about a businessman going into an office building. And came up to the elevator to get in the elevator, go up in the building for his business uh, conference. And he had with him a well-trained German shepherd dog. And he stepped in the elevator, the dog stepped in with him. And when he got inside the elevator, boy said, Sir, we're not allowed to take dogs up in the building. And he said, It's all right. And he gave a command, the dog stepped out in the hallway. He gave a command to the dog to watch for his return, to wait for him. And that dog stood there at attention at that door. And the man went up in the building, sat around the conference table, and sitting there had a sudden heart attack and was gone, passed away. They took his body out the rear elevator of the building, and the dog left there waiting for his master to come back. And they waited all day. At night time, they drove him out in the street. Next morning, when they opened the doors, the dog came back in. And day after day, the dog kept back standing that same place, same place, watching for the return of his master. Until finally, a reporter of the New York Times heard about the thing, went down and checked the dog tag, and got the ownership of the dog and tied the story all together. That dog waiting for the return of his master. Wait a minute. In this world, you'll have disappointments, but not in him. He is coming again. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself at where I am. There you may be also. And this we know. Now, you find your victory in a person. Make much of Jesus. Make much of the Son of God who loves you and died for you on the cross. And walks with you daily. And uh, uh, strengthens your life. And you look unto him and think of it. Now, that's number one. Victory in a person. Secondly, my friend, you find your victory in a plan. P-L-A-N. Now, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for all of us. Every life, every person, every situation, every individual. All right. He has a plan for you. What is your is God's plan? God's plan is that you reckon self to be dead. This is the toughest thing of all. Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one, I die daily. Paul said, Romans 6, 11, Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Word of God keeps on driving this home all the way through. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And uh, this is the thing we've got to see. You've got to find your victory in what God has said in His Word. And His plan is that you reckon self to be dead. 
You die to compliments. You die to criticism. You die to all of it that you might live and go for Christ and move on. And you must do it. Otherwise, you're always stopping and explaining and trying to get someone to understand your position, which may be impossible to do. And you've got to come back and say, Lord, I want to reckon myself to be dead and move on and do what God has led me to do. Have faith in God and know that He will see me through. Die to the positive, die to the negative. Die to all of it, just reckon all of it as, as dead and uh, your own life as dead and in Christ. Now, Jesus said, verily, verily, Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And if you want to bear fruit, then you'll have to die to self. There's no other way. And God will make it so. And you can. Daily, daily. Now salvation once and for all, praise God. Once and for all. But this daily business of dying every day, every day, coming back to it. I die daily. I die daily. And every day you find your power in the Son of God. And you reckon yourself to be dead. And you're not turned aside by little incidental things of this world. But you keep on moving forward, trusting God and working for Him and achieving for His glory. And you do the thing that God said. You find your victory in this plan. The plan of reckoning self to be dead. Now you let to pray it through and read it from the Word of God. And take down the verses. And just go over them again and again. They're all the way through the, the writings of Paul in many, many places. In Colossians, right? And, uh, and in, in verse after verse, he talks about the matter of death to self. Dying, dying, dying. And this we have to have. I was preaching down in northern Alabama in a beautiful new church. Had me there for the dedication service. And a big crowd of people. And it was a sweet service, a good hour. And they had a, a big uh, new electric organ over to one side. And they brought in a young man about 30 years of age to play the organ. And he was good. He was a professional. He knew how to play. No question about it. And uh, we had the service. And I brought the message and gave an invitation. Well, I gave the invitation. And extended this for people to be saved. The organist, uh, this young man who was playing the big new electric organ at one side, he decided just to tear loose and play an organ solo right in the middle of the invitation. And uh, I'm trying to get people forward. I was trying to explain to them to come and accept Christ as Savior. And brother, he just boomed that organ out louder and louder and louder. And I had to do something. So I said to the audience, I said, would you bow your heads, please? And they bowed their heads. And when they did so, it turned the organist and did that. Now, when I did that, he quit playing right in the middle of a note. I mean, right in the middle of one. And he stopped. And uh, I went on and gave an invitation. And God blessed. And souls were saved. At the end of the hour, I down front shaking hands with some of the people in the front, converts and others who had come forward. And that look up. And this fellow left the organ and running over toward me. And uh, I knew something bad wrong. Boy, he walked up. I never saw a fellow so mad in my life. He said, sir, he said, you'll never preach in this church again. I want to see the pastor and tell him what you did to me. He said, that was an insult. He said, I'm a trained musician. I know the organ. I, I know how to play. And you stopped me right in the middle of it. And you cut me off. And he said, that's an insult to me. And you'll never uh, play, play, uh, preach in this church again. Well, I said, sir, I apologize. I'm sorry that it did so. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But I wanted to give the invitation. And you were playing so loudly, I could not do so. So I had to cut you off. And I said, I'm sorry. But it, and the people gathered around. And as he got louder, the crowd got bigger. You know how they always gather when you're going to have a fuss. And uh, they all got around. 
And uh, uh, he kept on talking. Oh, he was angry. And finally, I turned and said, Sir, are you saved? He said, Yes, sir, I'm a Christian. I said, Let me ask you something. Have you ever heard of dying to self? He said, No, sir. I said, You're going to hear it right now. He said, Well, I don't want to hear it. I don't hear a thing. He said, I just want to make you know that you're through here. And never again will you preach. Well, I said, Now, now sir, I, I, the people are here, and I want to explain to you what it means to die to self. I went through all of it. I read every verse I could think about on dying to self and showing what the Christian should be by dying to self, reckoning self to be dead. I went through all of it. And he stood there and listened, but he was angry as could be. And I finished it all up. And I said, that's it. And that's the one thing you need. If you want to be a great organist, you play for the glory of God. Amen. You don't play for man. You're praying for God. And you're, 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 you work into the service to win souls and do the job that ought to be done. And uh, when I finished all, he turned and walked away. And he was really mad. So I went back to my motel to spend the night. And uh, got up the next morning, came back to the church at 10 o'clock. I wasn't sure whether I'd get to preach or not, but I said I'd be there at 10. And so I walked in at 10 o'clock in the morning, a little before 10. And lo and behold, over to one side, set this organist. And when I walked in the door, he jumped up and rushed over to me. He said, sir, I want to thank you. He said, I'm a saved man. But I never had heard this teaching of dying to self in my life until last night. He said, I prayed that organ for self-glory. I prayed it for men to applaud me. And he said, I never knew anything about dying to self. And he said, you taught me more last night in three minutes than I learned in a whole lifetime before. He said, I want to thank you for it. Now wait, I'm not sure but what there are so many of us like that that need to be taught what it means to reckon self to be dead. And you're saved, you're born again, you've got a calling of God, you're working for Him, but somehow you're up and down, up and down. And you're not constantly going at the job that God gives you because of the self-life. Self-life. And you need to reckon self to be dead. I went to Chattanooga back in 1942. And uh, Sunday school then running maybe 150. And uh, I got in there and I discovered that we had one big class taught by a lady, ladies class. And um, I understood she was good and I met her and talked to her and a very gracious lady. And uh, the, the class is growing about the only one in the Sunday school was. And uh, everything was so wonderful about her. And I was happy she'd gone. And I heard that she'd gone through the school field Bible five times, chapter by chapter, teaching in the class for a number of years. And I said, that's wonderful and good. And uh, then I began to hear something. I heard that about every three or four months, she'd come before a class and say, Now, girls, I've been with you a long time. I've taken you through the Bible again and again. And I feel like I've stayed as long as I should. And I'm going to resign. I'll let you get another teacher. Uh, and I feel I've given you everything I have. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll resign and step out and you get another teacher. And when she'd say that, uh, we had a lady in our church, her first name was Bernice, she's with the Lord now, but she would always be on the front row. And when she said that, she'd jump to her feet and say, now, wait a minute, Miss so-and-so, without question, you are the greatest teacher in the world. There's no one like you. You're the best. And we want you to stay. And then she'd turn to the class and say, class, do you want her to stay? If you do, would you stand up? They'd all jump up to their feet. And when they do that, then this dear lady would bow her head very humbly and would say, Girls, thank you so much. Said, I didn't know that you loved me so much. And if you feel that way, I'll stay with you. Now, that would be all right if you did it one time. But she'd do it every three or four months. And she kept on doing it. Kept on doing it. And I kept on hearing about it. Finally, one day, she walked in to see me. She said, Brother Robertson, I think you know that I've tried to resign my class. They won't take my resignation. 
He refused every time. And she said, I feel like she should step out and someone else should come in and take the class and go on from there. And, uh, and I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry to, that you feel that way about it. But I said, if you want to resign, I'll take your resignation. I'll take it right now. And she said, no. Uh, and she started arguing. I said, no, ma'am, if that's what you feel and you want to resign, I will take it now. And I did. I said, you're through. Boy, did she get mad. She called me names not in the Sunday school books at all. And uh, she was just just furious. And she stood to her feet and she stood there and just ranted and tore for a long time and said, I thought she was that kind. And she just gave it to me good and hard. And uh, she finally walked out. And I said, well, I'm sorry she got mad, but best I could do, she wanted to resign, so I let her resign. Next Sunday, she was such a fundamental Baptist that the next Sunday she joined the First Methodist Church in downtown Chattanooga, a modernistic liberal church, and joined with them. I heard about it. And she stayed there a few months and left there and joined another church. And then I lost track of her altogether. Never heard of her again. And the years went by. Until recently, I spoke in a rest home of Chattanooga, one of the most beautiful rest homes you've ever seen. Magnificent thing. And uh, I gave my message, about 75 or 80 of the people there, all of them between maybe 75 and 95 years of age, somewhere in there. And I gave my message, and when I finished, a lady came up to me. She said, uh, Brother Robertson, do you know me? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, yes, you do. I said, ma'am, I don't know you at all. Well, she said, I think you do. Well, I said, uh, tell me who you are. And she told me who she was. She said, I'm the lady that resigned so much. And you took my resignation and made me angry. I left the church and joined the Methodist church and went on talking about what she did. And then she broke down in tears. She said, Brother Robertson, what a fool I was. She said, I'm saved and I know it. But she said, from the day that I walked out of your church, I've never taught another Sunday school class. Nobody would have me. No church would have me. When I'd go to there and join there, hope to teach, they'd mark me off and said, I haven't done one single thing for God. And a woman up in her 80s, and she was crying. She said, oh, what an awful mistake I made in my own life. And said, now I'm, I'm too old now to do anything. And I failed all of these years to serve God. And said, all of it was a matter of following my own self. Now wait, this is true of many, many people. And you better find your victory in God's plan, reckon self to be dead. And be alive unto God. Die to criticism, it'll come. Die to the compliments. Doubtless they mean little anyway. Just let it all go and say, Lord, I will live for you completely, entirely. I want to be dead to self. I want to live for God. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want His power upon me. I want His will to be done in my life. Now, that's essential. The victory in a plan. Victory in a plan. I've been East preaching one Sunday morning in Chattanooga. Had a good hour. And the people got saved. And I went back and baptized the converts. And I came out of the building, uh, uh, dressed to go home. We lived on Bailey Avenue. And when I came out the back door, at the back door, stood a little lady of the church. I knew her well, about my age. And uh, I said, Miss so-and-so, didn't we have a great service this morning? She said, didn't like any of it. Well, I said, didn't you see the people saved? Didn't see any of them saved. Didn't you join the singing, get the music? Didn't get anything. She said, Pastor, I'm mad. I'm plain mad. And said, furthermore, I'm going to leave your church and join another one. 
if you don't straighten out my trouble. She said, but I've got to have it my way or I'm not going to come to this church at all. Well, I said, ma'am, I don't know what's wrong. She said, I think you do. See, she said, do you know where I sit in the church? I said, yes, ma'am. You sit in the balcony on my left. I've been sitting there 20 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You're always there. And I said, I know where you, I know where you sit. And I said, that's right. She said, this morning I walked in the place where I've been sitting for 20 years. And there said a man. I said, sure, you'll have to move. That's my seat. I've been sitting there 20 years. He said, man, I don't care how long you've been sitting here. I like this. I got here first. A man can be mean too, you know, like a woman sometimes. Excuse me, ladies. And uh, he said, uh, ma'am, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to move. And she said that man wouldn't move. I had to go to another part of the auditorium and sit there. And I was mad through the whole service and said I didn't get a thing out of it. And she said, now I want to tell you that unless you can promise me my seat in the balcony every single time that I come to church, I'm quitting your church and going to join another one. I said, Miss so-and-so, you know you're saved. She said, yes, I do. I've been born again. I know that. Well, I said, there's something you've never learned. You've never learned the great secret of dying to self. And I took my Bible and began giving it to her. I went through every scripture I could think of on the matter of death to self. I went through all of it. And she stood there listening. And then I said, now we'll pray. And we bowed and had prayer together. And she turned and walked away. Never said, never even told me goodbye. But she left. And I thought, well, it's all over. She'll leave and go on. I came back Sunday night. Stood in the pulpit. Looked around. She had been sitting out the balcony. The place was vacant where she had been sitting. I said, she's gone. But I looked around the building, and lo and behold, there she sat on the other side, on the balcony, on the right side. And there she was sitting there. I looked at her carefully. She was sitting there with her hands in her lap and looking around and smiling. I said, bless God, I believe she got it. I believe she got it. You won't believe it. That little lady is in the church now, and she may sit any place in the building, but somehow she learned the secret of dying to self. That sounds tiny, my friend, but that's where most of your church troubles come from, little things like that. It's who ushers, how the usher, how the offering is taken up, how the choir sings, how the organ plays, how the band, and on and on. And little things that disturb and we fail to reconcile to be dead. How many people fail in their soul winning because they're not dead to self? Somebody became angry at the door, said something they didn't like. They, well, I'm through with that business. No, no, no. You reconcile to be dead and keep on going. Just keep on going and trusting God. And find your victory in God's plan. God gave it to us and you take it. And say, I reckon self to be dead. I want to be alive unto God through Jesus Christ, my blessed Lord. You know, you can go to the funeral home. A body is placed there in the casket. You can walk up there to that person lying in the casket say anything you want to. You can brag on them or you can criticize them. Nothing happens. They're dead. That's exactly what Paul was saying. He said, I die daily, that I might be alive unto God through Jesus Christ more. Victory, victory in a plan, victory in a person. Let me come to number three. There must be victory in a power. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. 
In the book of Acts it reads, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's repeated again and again, so beautifully given unto us, the fullness of the Spirit. Now we have to remind ourselves, when we got saved, He came in. We have all of Him. But does He have all of us? We have all of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. And He's indwelling us. But does He have all of us? Have we given ourselves to Him completely? The Holy Spirit directing us and guiding and filling and empowering and using us. Do we have that victory in a power? Are we filled with the Spirit of God? Now, the Holy Spirit changes men. The Holy Spirit takes away selfishness. The Holy Spirit brings up the low standards and gets them out of your life. The Holy Spirit will purify your language. And the Holy Spirit will empower your life. And we're to walk in the Spirit and worship in the Spirit and work in the Spirit. And this is God's way for all of us. And you'll find your victory in a power. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how much your life would be benefited and how much would mine be benefited if I could stop in the hour of some crucial circumstance when I feel like, brother, this is all I can take. I've gone as far as I can. Then remember that I'm not alone. He's indwelling me. He's there to guide and empower and to help me to move on. When all the forces of the world may be against you, you can rest in Him and you'll find your victory in a power. The power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you, empower you, and use you. On your face before God, say, Oh God, I want to be empty of self, empty, empty of self, and filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to take me and use me and bless me and make me to be what He wants me to be. How different, how different. When you've been 40 years in one place, Dr. Seidler's been that long, just about, and you've been around people, the same people, lovely people, many of them, but you'll find certain ones that never quite get hold of it, and some do, many don't. The matter of living the victorious life and finding their victory in the power of the Holy Spirit. How essential this is. How essential. In a church, pastors here this morning, there are problems, deacon problems, Sunday school problems, youth problems. And you, have, you face them every day. They're always coming, always coming. And they're always the same kind. They're always a matter of some little self moved in there until you're, you're always trying to straighten out something and wondering what can be done. And people bear certain characteristics. Some refuse to grow. Some refuse to reckon themselves to be dead. They refuse and go on their selfish ways. And you have to work with them. And you're the pastor. You're the Sunday school teacher. You're the leader. You're the superintendent of Sunday school. And you've got to guide and direct the entire matter. And to pray God that He'll bring power into the work that you're doing, even in spite of the opposition, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the people that you may have around you. And then keep on praying that God will make them be what they should be. And pray that your life will be fully surrendered to Him. And that you'll be dead to self and filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to use your life, my life, all of us. There's victory in a power. The power of God's Holy Spirit. I held a meeting down south some years ago. 
in a beautiful big church. And uh, auditorium seat about 850 or 900. A lovely building. And a great pastor, I thought. And, and a good man. And uh, I began on Monday night. And the crowd was small. Maybe 7,500 people, not more than 100. And uh, I didn't say anything. But it went on. I thought it was strange. Big church like that. Big Sunday school. And you a little handful there. Tuesday night, the same thing happened. I said, Pastor, maybe I'm here at the wrong time. Maybe I better go home and come back for another time when I'll be here for a meeting when your people are ready for it. They're not coming. He said, you know what's wrong, don't you? Well, I said, I'm not sure. He said, well, the thing is wrong. They've gone to hear Mr. Roberts. Oral Roberts had a tent four blocks away. The tent would seat 14,000 people. I saw it. Immense thing. 14,000. And they're there. And he said, Mr. Roberts has a healing line that's two blocks long. He sits on the platform. They come by, puts his hand on praise for them. And he said, my folks are going to see it. He said, it's so curious to them that they want to see it. And he said, you're not going to get them here at all. They're not coming. Well, I said, in that case, maybe I should go ahead and come back another time. Well, he said, let's try two more days and see what happens. We went on Thursday, and Thursday, I was riding down the streets of the city with this pastor, and uh, he was driving his car. I was sitting by his side. He suddenly said, he said, Brother Robertson, uh, don't look right now, but in just a moment, look over to your left. He said, you'll see one of the red-headed devils who is killing our church. Well, I was so curious, I looked at once. And on the sidewalk, was walking a big, tall fellow with red hair. I said, you mean that man? He said, yes. He's one of my deacons. He's a devil. He said, the meanest man you've ever seen. And oh, he tore into that poor fellow. He called him names. Not nice names. I said, well, sir, how many more do you have like him? He said, three more. I said, are they all? He said, all of them deacons, four deacons. He said, these men fight me night and day. They say they oppose everything I, I, I propose. They, they, they don't want to win the souls. They're four of them. They're devils. And he said they're mean. And he began tearing into them. Oh, his language became vicious. And after a moment, I discovered something. I discovered he didn't have four devils in the church. He had five. He was number five. I never saw a preacher so mad in my life. Tearing those men up. Just tearing them up. And I, I knew I had troubles. But I went on. A priest heard tonight. Nothing happened. I came back and preached Friday night. Handful of people. Friday night. And when I finished my sermon Friday night, I gave an invitation. And a man walked down the aisle with red hair. And knelt at the table right in the front. I said, thank you, Lord. That's one of them. We sang a little more. Another came. Another came. Another, until four of them knelt there at the table. And they were the four deacons. They were praying aloud and asking God to forgive them, confessing their sins. And you could hear them, and the audience could hear them. And I, I knew something had to happen, so I turned around to the pastor. He was standing over to one side, holding his Bible in his hand, and rocking on his heels. And uh, I discovered then you better watch the preacher rocks on his heels. And uh, this guy was rocking away. I walked over and said, Pastor, you better go join your deacons. You better pray and get this thing straightened out tonight. He said, never. He said, there are devils, all of them. Said, I don't care what happens to them. He said, I wouldn't go down there for anything in the world. I said, Pastor, either you go or I'm going home tonight. 
Make up your mind. Either you get right with God and with your men, or I'm leaving tonight. I came back to the pulpit. I thought it was all over. But the moment I heard a little rustling sound, and I looked, and he was going off the edge of the platform, walking around, came to the back of him, threw his Bible on the, on the, back, on the front pew, and dropped on his knees right between those four men, put an arm around each other, two of them on each side, and began to pour out his heart and cry out to God. And pray. And I looked at the audience. The audience had quit singing all together. And they were all crying, wiping tears away. You can't fool the church. You know that? The church knows what's going on. They may, you may think they know, but they know the whole thing. And they were all weeping. And these five men were pouring out the hearts to God. I let them go on and pray. They cried unto God. And the arms are on each other. And finally, I thought it had gone long enough. I walked around to them. And I said uh, to the first, I said, sir, would you like to stand up? And he stood up. And the others then got up. And the first man raised hand and said, I want to raise. He said, I want to confess my sin. He said, I've been wrong. He said, oh, I've done so many terrible things. And the fellow next to him pulled his hand down and said, no. He said, I'm to blame for all of it. And the other fellows all took the blame. And the pastor said, I'm to blame more than all of you. I'm your pastor. And I failed uh, God in this thing. And we've all been wrong. And they stood there confessing and talking. And the audience crying at the same time. That night, the service didn't finish till 10.30. They came by and shook hands and hugged and kissed until 10.30. My, my. That was a small crowd. And uh, getting things right. Friday night, that was Friday, Saturday night came along and I preached. The crowd was more than doubled. I gave an invitation and one got saved that night. Never forgotten. I went back to my room in the motel. Came back on Sunday morning. I drove down the street. I came to the church where I'd been parking right in front of it every day. Right in front of it. I couldn't find a parking place. I drove two blocks to find a parking place. I never saw as many cars in my life. They were all over the street, both sides. And they got way down. And I walked back up to the church. I walked up carrying my Bible and came up the front. I had big steps going up to the front door. I walked up the steps, got to the top step, and there stood two big, fat policemen. I said, Lord, help us. They're at it again. And I walked up and took hold of the door to go in. And when I did, one police walked over and grabbed me and pulled away and said, Sir, you're not going in. Well, I said, uh, I'd like to. He said, No, sir. That building is packed and jammed with people. They're sitting on the floor. And the fire department sent us out here. We're here to protect the building and the people and to allow no one else to go in that building. It's so jam-packed. He said, you can't go in. Well, I said, I'd like to. I'm the preacher. Oh, he said, excuse me, and opened up the door and pushed me inside. And when I got inside, the aisles were filled. The choir was filled. The balcony, everything is filled. People everywhere. People everywhere. I mean, just, just full of folks. Just full of people. I walked down the aisle, stepping over the uh, uh, the boys and girls sitting on the floor, and came on the platform. There stood the pastor on the platform, standing there, holding his Bible in his hand, not saying a word, just standing there, big, tall fellow, standing there, tears coursing down his cheeks as he stood there, and his people sitting there. They were not moving, just sitting there too. They weren't singing, nobody saying a word. He just holding that Bible in his hand, just crying away. And I walked down the aisle up on the platform. And as I did so, he turned to me and said, Here, Pastor, you take the Bible. He said, You preach and hand me his Bible. Open to John chapter 3. So I just stood there and began at John 3.16. I preached the sermon ever had used before in my life. I called it for sinners only. For sinners only. 
I preached about 20, 25 minutes, gave an invitation, and that morning, 132 people came forward accepting Christ as Savior. 132. Now, I'll tell you why I know the number. The other day in Tampa, Florida, I met a man who was saved that morning. He was 14 years old on that day. He said, the day I got saved, there were 131 beside myself who came forward in the old church. He said, I was there. And he testified to the whole thing, told me about it just, just, just recently. And God blessed and 132 people saved. Wait a minute. Sunday night they came along, packed the building again. Packed it, packed it overflowing. Monday night was packed in Shan. The pastor began baptizing. He baptized 150 converts on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in three nights. 150 of them. And every night the building packed and jammed, packed and Listen, Mr. Robert still has ten four blocks away. That's strange. Uh, four blocks away. And didn't have any special music exactly, just somebody led the singing. And uh, I was preaching, I'd been preaching a week already. And uh, they were there. They packed the building overflowing. And people got saved. When we wound up on Thursday night, 242 people had been saved in that meeting from Sunday through, through Thursday night. And God bless. Today, that is a great church now, working for God, moving forward, serving God, winning souls, and doing his job. Wait a minute. Things happen when the Holy Spirit takes over. When He's working. When he has his way in the song service, in the preaching, in the invitation, in all things, the Holy Spirit has victory in a power. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I read books. Some of them inspire me and cause me to think and to come to some decisions. I hear sermons. I delight in hearing them. I'm, I'm happy for what God gives to me. But sometime when I read or when I hear... I postpone my decision, and uh, I put it off, and sometimes it never comes. I'm saying this morning, when I talk to you about your own life, uh, you should be saying, Dear God, I want to be a victorious Christian. I want to find my victory in a person, in a plan, in a power. I want what God has for me. I want God to use me in the greatest possible way that I can be used. I want his hand to be upon me day and night. I want this victory. Now the thing to do is not only to say that, but to say beginning of this hour, beginning today, this morning, this Saturday morning, here in a tent, I sat there and listened, and I said, Lord, this is what I want for my life. And I shall begin now with a complete surrender of all I have. And I'll find that victory that I want in Christ, the person. I'll find that victory in the plan for reckoning self to be dead. It'll change my business, my home life, church life, Sunday school life, all of them. I'll find my victory in the power, the Holy Spirit's power. I'll depend on Him to hold and pull out a brown canvas sack. And He shoved it up in my arm and said, hold that. It was heavy as could be. I held on and then reached out for two more containers, uh, tin cans of some sort, and gave them to me. And he said, I'll get the rest of it. He said, go ahead. And we came out of that cellar outside, walked around the three-room shotgun house to that little T-model Ford truck. He said, put it on the front seat. I dropped what I had in the front seat. He came and got in the driver's seat, waved to me, and took off. That was the end of it. My dad said, well, we're not bothering Uncle Walter. We didn't care much for him. Aunt Cora was sweet, but we'll not go to see them. Uh, we were not Christian people then. And uh, he said, we'll not bother to go to see them. 
So we didn't go. So months went by. Then came the word. Aunt Cora was dead. My dad said, well, we better go to the funeral. She was sweet. Uh, we, ought, we ought to go. So we did. We borrowed a car and drove across the river over to Indiana and down to English where I was born. From English to Taswell. A little three, 300 people in the town. And we found the church up on the side of the hill. A little wooden church unpainted. No care taken of it at all. That's the church for the whole town. Methodists used it one week and somebody else the next. And on a little one, one room. And we went inside and about 25, 30 people were sitting there. People of the town. And we sat there and we waited. I'd never been to a funeral in my life at that time. And we waited a little while, and after that, the undertaker came, brought the uh, casket down the aisle with the body of Aunt Cora, and came up the front and opened it up. And I looked up there and saw the face of Aunt Cora, the first time I'd ever seen a dead body, to my recollection now. And I saw her, her face, and I was moved because she had been kind to me. And I saw the whole thing. And we sat there. And after a while, lo and behold, in walked Uncle Walter and about four or five of his buddies, came in the back door of the church. They came in the back and started down the aisle. As they did so, they were laughing and talking, boisterous, crude men. And they walked down there poking each other and joking and sat on the front seat. And still laughing and joking with the body of Ancora up here in the casket. And the husband sitting over laughing and talking. And the men joking him. And all of them sitting there. And we sat there and waited. In a few moments from the back door came in the old country preacher. Big, long, tall fellow, poorly clad. And walked out the pulpit, had his Bible, no piano, no organ there, so no music. And he said, I'll read from the Scripture. And he began reading. And as he began reading from the Word of God, all of a sudden from that front seat jumped Uncle Walter. He jumped to that casket, draped himself over the face of his wife, and began to cry out with a uh, strong, loud voice, Cora, come back, come back. Honey, I love you, I love you. I'll give you anything you want, anything you want. Come back, come back. And the friend was sitting on the front row, two of them walked over and grabbed the arm and pulled him back to that front seat. And he went on crying through the rest of the service, crying for her to come back, come back. Wait a minute. That little wife had suffered for a whole lifetime. Never had a new dress in a lifetime, no joking. Had never had a doctor in a lifetime. Never saw a drop of medicine. Uncle Walter was a miser. And what I'd pulled out of that basement that day, that old cellar, and put in the front of his truck was money he'd saved. Every penny he'd get hold of, he'd put in a sack and a can, put down the, in, the, in the hole in the ground. He was a miser. Saved it all. Wouldn't give her a thing. Wouldn't let her buy a thing. Didn't do a thing for it all. And that was the story. But now, at her death, he's crying. My friend, he was too late. He was, she was already dead. Now, what I'm saying to you is a very simple thing. What you do for God, do it now. Today. And say today, dear Lord, I want to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Today, I want to die to self. Today, I want you to take me and use me. I want to be what you want me to be for the glory of God. I surrender my life, all of my life, to Him. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, 
visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.